Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. The Boko Haram insurgency in Nigeria is growing ever stronger, and there's seemingly no end in sight. In recent weeks, they've pulled off a series of audacious attacks, including what might be the single worst mass atrocity event of their history when they laid siege to some towns near Lake Chad in the far northeastern part of the country. The insurgency is worsening as Nigerians are preparing to go to the polls in a major election to decide whether or not to re-elect President Goodluck Jonathan. The election is on February 14th, and there are signs that this may be fraught and violent affair. Now, Nigeria is a regional powerhouse. It's Africa's most populous country, and what matters there has consequences far beyond its borders. Here with me to discuss the Boko Haram insurgency, the Nigerian elections, and the potential consequence of the Boko Haram insurgency on the Nigerian elections is Alex Thurston of Georgetown University. He's a visiting professor there and is also the author of a new report on the Nigerian elections for the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and he's someone whose work I've followed for a very long time. This was a great conversation and timely, so enjoy. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I think a lot of it goes back to, to the shift that Boko Haram seems to have undertaken in, in summer 2014 when they decided to start trying to take and hold territory, particularly in, in Borno State in the far northeastern part of, of Nigeria. And they've been taking control of certain towns. They've been battling the Nigerian military for, for control of other towns. And then they've been sort of terrorizing some of the major cities, um, including Maiduguri, that they haven't been able to, to take or, or that they don't want to bid for control of quite yet. So they haven't taken any major town in Nigeria just yet. I mean, they've definitely taken, you know, notable places, I mean, including, you know, Chibok and, and Gwoza and, and places like that. I mean, you know, they, they've definitely taken notable towns, um, but they haven't yet captured one of the really major cities in in the northeast, you know, Maduguri or, or Petiskum or Damaturu or something like that. I mean, I, I think it's possible that they could take one of these cities at some point. So why has the Nigerian uh, government been so unable to, um, to to defend some of these territories? I mean, why is this region so vulnerable, and why has the government of Good Luck Jonathan been seemingly unable to stop this growing insurgency? I think the the two key problems are corruption and, and abuses by the security forces. So in terms of corruption, there have been, you know, particularly in the last year or nine months, there have been a few mutinies by government soldiers posted to the Northeast, and they've said 
that they don't have the the equipment and munitions and and pay that they need and so you know if if they're telling the truth which i which i suspect that they are if they're willing to mutiny then then you know that points to real problems of of corruption you know up and down the the chain of command um and of course many nigerians would say that that corruption is the foremost problem of their government so corruption seems to be inhibiting the fight uh, and then also the the abuses and you know Human Rights Watch and Amnesty and others have have reported widely on this that government forces and civilian vigilantes have you know been been linked to widespread abuses which I think um, even if it doesn't always turn civilian populations you know toward Boko Haram it, it at least really breeds mistrust and fear among among the civilians, which just makes the, the security forces job harder. And these are abuses seemingly committed in the act of trying to defeat Boko Haram, like in a battle against Boko Haram fighters, the Nigerian military is willing to not necessarily discriminate too carefully between combatants and non-combatants. Is that sort of the general um, like nub of the problem? Some some are committed in the heat of battle or or in the aftermath of battle, you know, rounding up people and and executing them and and torturing them. But but some abuses are are linked to the the detention system, and and so those are not committed necessarily in the heat of battle. Um, you know, holding people without trial and and torturing them and so forth on an extended basis. I mean, so Nigeria is obviously like a very large country, um, both geographically and in terms of population. Um, I mean, is the average like Nigerian in like Lagos terribly concerned about the insurgency in like the far northeast of the country, or is it something that's sort of peripheral? Uh, would you say, um, in terms of like their political um, activism? You know, there was a, a very good um, op-ed in the New York Times the other day, uh, I think called "Nigeria's Army of Psychopaths" by by Tolo Obanleshi, and and he was writing about. Uh, the perspective from from Lagos and saying that, you know, in some ways it can seem very remote. You know, it's it's a far northeastern part of of the country. You know, it's it's far from the economic centers of of Nigeria as a whole, and it's even far from from economic centers of the north, like like Kano. Um, so on the one hand, it can seem really remote. On the other hand, as as he was pointing out, you know, Nigeria's economy, internal economy, is, is interlinked in all kinds of ways. You know, and so the northeast is is an agricultural center um you know it's it's a, a trading hub so you know nigerians in different parts of the country um can feel the effects of of the crisis in the northeast but i do think that for many people in in lagos and and in other you know commercial hubs in the south it it can seem remote at times um, i ask because um you know nigerians are going to the polls for february 14th in in big elections um and i'm curious to know or to learn your perspective on the effects of this insurgency and the current government's seeming inability to get it under control to the overall election like how will that actually influence voters you think one way or the other in uh how they'll they'll cast their ballots in in february on february 14th yeah, I mean, I think that I think that security is is one of the key issues on voters' minds. I think also that that corruption is a big issue on on voters' minds and and the state of the economy as a whole. And so, you know, President Jonathan's argument for re-election will be that you know he has been an effective steward of of the economy and that he's transforming the country in terms of infrastructural 
development and and things like that and and you know he and his his team can point to you know really high high numbers um high numbers for you know gdp growth and and the rebasing of nigeria's gdp last year that showed that it's the biggest economy in africa um on the other mm-hmm. hand you know some voters will be extremely concerned about corruption and and you know and and the effects of the the drop in oil prices on nigeria's economy and and security and those voters may look to you know former military ruler Muhammadu Buhari as somebody who who has a reputation for you know being tough on security and being tough on corruption um i should also say you know there's there's just a a real element of um you know what nigerians call godfatherism in, in nigerian politics and so i think that a lot of voters probably say you know, look, look. There's going to be real manipulation of the process and and backroom deals and and potential fraud and and so you know the the preferences of the voters may not determine the outcome of the election. Um. So I, w- I want to talk about that in a minute, but first I'd be curious to have you kind of lay out uh, the candidates, uh, who the main contenders are, what their base of support is, uh, and then you know how the election may shake out. So you have uh, good luck, Jonathan, uh, the pre- current president, who I take it is is pretty well favored to win this thing. Uh, but who are his main challengers? I mean, he really has, has I would say, one main challenger, who, and that's that's Mohamed Buhari. So Buhari was a uh, military ruler of, of Nigeria from 1983 to 1985, and then he's been the runner-up in the past three elections, including against Jonathan in, in 2011. Um, Buhari, you know, is now the candidate Unlike in previous years, he's now the candidate of of a truly national opposition coalition called the All Progressives Congress or APC. Um, and so, in 2011, you know, Buhari is from northern Nigeria. His his support came largely from from northern Nigeria last time, and and he won, you know, the the far northern states. Um, one question for him this time will be, you know, whether the the APC's strengths as a, a national coalition will, will translate into a different map for Buhari. So the APC is very strong, particularly in the southwestern part of the country. Um, the APC also, you know, for example, controls one state in the Niger Delta. So if if Buhari can win states like that, then, you know, he would, he would and hold the north, then, then he would really make it a, a very competitive race and, and could win. And the APC uh, presumably includes Christian parties? Or parties whose base of support are Christians mostly. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call them Christian parties. Right, and I, right. I wouldn't call the APC a, a Muslim party, but but it does. You know, the the southwestern part of the country. I mean, a lot of times people talk about Nigeria's Muslim North and and Christian South, and and that can be accurate to a point. But particularly in the southwest, there's there's a large number of Muslims and a large number of Christians, and so you know, a big portion of the APC's support comes from from that portion of the country, and and a lot of the most prominent APC leaders from from that part of the country are are Muslim. You know, current Lagos governor um, Baba Tunde Fashola, and um, you know Bola Tinubu, the former governor of Lagos. Um, but certainly, there are many Christians in in the APC as well. Um, and so, what is the current president, uh, Good Luck Jonathan's base of support? Well, I mean, he's he's from. You know the the Niger Delta, the part of the country that that Nigerians call the the South South, and he performed you know very well there in terms of his his margins um, in 2011. I mean, really won you know totals of, of over 90 percent in a lot of the states. 
um, in both this this far southern region and and in the southeast. Um, he also, you know, he swept the south basically in in 2011 and also did did very well in in kind of the the middle belt of the country or or what Nigerians would call the north central zone. Um, so if if Jonathan can, you know, and it's it's very likely that he would do well again in in the delta and in the southeast. Um, the question for him will be how he does in in the middle belt and in the southwest this time. Now, are the candidates, I mean, at all running on, um, you know, more effectively taking on the Boko Haram insurgency and like laying out any specific plans they have to, uh, you know, kind of to, to, to defeat, you know, an insurgency that's taking swaths of the country? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's a good question. I think, you know, Jonathan and and his, you know, kind of key advisors have articulated different plans you know, over the course of, of the insurgency, I mean, you know, one of the best known plans is, is his national security advisors, you know, soft approach, which is supposed to pair kind of countering violent extremism with, you know, with the more military approach. Um, some Nigerians, of course, criticized Jonathan for, for you know, remaining silent uh, on different issues. You know, he, he faced some criticism for, for you know, seeming kind of absent on the Baga issue and, and simultaneously commenting on the attacks in Paris. He caught a lot of criticism for that. Um, but I think the, the Jonathan and, and Baga, I should say, was, was the massacre of, of a whole bunch of people, many as perhaps as many as 2000 near Lake Chad. It happened right as right. the Paris massacre happened. So, you know, I think, I think Jonathan's people would, would say, you know, if, if you reelect us, then, then we will solve this, you know, and, and we will, combine the the soft approach with the you know with with the military tactics you know that are necessary to to end this i think what you know what buhari's supporters would say is again that that you know buhari has the the background and the the credentials and the mindset to kind of handle this but but even buhari has said you know that that it's it's not like he'll be able to come into to office and end this Boko haram within a month or something like that i mean even even the buhari campaign is saying you know, that, that it would be a long-term fight. Um, so how concerned are you or other analysts about the prospects of election-related violence? I mean, elections in Nigeria in the past have historically sometimes been rather violent affairs, and now you have an election in the midst of a rather, um, you know, vibrant insurgency. Uh, so how concerned are you or our Nigerian, you know, political elites that this, you know, election can happen at all in, in a free and fair way without too much violence. Yeah, I mean I think I think people should be concerned about about violence. I think I think it's worthwhile to kind of disaggregate a couple of the potential sources of violence. So on the one hand, you know, you could see something like what you saw in twenty eleven where you would get, you know, riots in, in the north if Jonathan is reelected. Uh you could also see some pretty significant violence in the Niger Delta, particularly in River State, which is currently held by the opposition, um, you know, at, at the gubernatorial level. Um, like I said before, you know, Jonathan had extremely high vote totals in, in the Niger Delta in 2011. If he's seeking to repeat that and the opposition, you know, really tries to push back, that could result in violence. Um, then, of course, you could also see, you know, continued violence from, from Boko Haram, um, you know, it's certainly possible there will be, you know, major bombings and, and attacks on the day of the elections. 
Um, the point I've been trying to make about Boko Haram in general, though, is that I think I think I think their violence is is long term. So I think it's gonna you know I think it's gonna last well well beyond the elections. And so there you know overall there could be multiple sources of violence you know during and and after the elections. Um, I guess finally, like what would you recommend or, or what could be done to uh, just defeat this insurgency, either by the a new government or the current government? Are there any specific policy measures, uh, ones in particular that, that outside um, entities like the United States or the United Nations or other neighboring regions, uh, other neighboring countries can um, participate in? Like what can the rest of the world do to help Nigerian defeat this insurgency? I mean, I really do think that the corruption and security force abuses are are two of the main problems, you know, impeding the the solution to the insurgency. And so, I think that, you know, until until those are addressed, you know, until the the systems and and the individuals that that permit those to continue are addressed, then I think Nigeria is going to have a hard time taking this on. I mean, in terms of what partners can do. I think there's two schools of thought. You know, there's a school of thought that says, you know, we need to step up, you know, military cooperation. And even you're starting to hear some voices say, you know, step up military intervention to help help Nigeria defeat Boko Haram. And other voices say, you know, the United States or or others should should call Nigeria out even more on on corruption on on abuses. Um, and I tend to side with with that latter camp. I mean, I think that. I think there is a role for for constructive criticism at this point and, and to say you know the the current approach isn't working. Well, thank you all for listening. Another great episode. Thank you to Alexander Thurston for sharing his thoughts with us. And uh, if you are new to the podcast, remember you can subscribe on iTunes or download our app for your iPhone or Android. And if you are not new to the podcast I and you like the podcast, I suggest that you write a review of the podcast in the iTunes store or in the App Store or Google Play. It helps other people find the podcast a bit more easily. So again, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.